and then a dwarf came out to us and said, "'Good fortune, lads. You're going to see something that no one else has seen for millions of years.' And we did, I reckon. We were some way away from the front of the queue because trolls and humans and dwarfs were coming back out of the cavern, and every single one of them, going past us, looked as if he'd been hypnotised. Now, I've told you about the miracle of Coombe Valley before, my lad, but you haven't seen this iconograph of me and Smack. Just took at the time, just after we realised we weren't going to be fighting that day, and we all went in ones and twos into that cavern and saw the two kings, the king of the dwarfs and the king of the trolls, entombed in shining rock, playing thud, and we saw it. And it was true. They'd been friends in death, and that gave us a signal that we needn't be enemies in life. And that was it, until later Smack and me tried to find something both of us could drink. A lot of the people were doing the same thing, but the potion he gave me, then he blew my bloody head off. It certainly made my boots burn. Smack has got two kids now, you see, doing all right, working in Ankh-Morpork. Trolls ain't all that good at writing, but I think of him and I think of Coombe Valley every day. The old cobbler looked sideways at his son's face and said, You're a smart boy, smarter than your brother was, and I, I reckon you've got a question to ask me. The boy coughed and said, If you saw them playing thud, Dad, can you remember which one was about to win? The old dwarf laughed. I asked that when I met Commander Vimes, and he wouldn't tell me. We reckoned he probably broke a few pieces off so no one knew who the winner would be, so some curious little fellow like you wouldn't go off and try to start the whole damn war again. Commander Vimes? The blackboard monitor? Yes, it was him, all right. Shook my hand. Shook both her hands. The boy's tone was suddenly reverential. You actually shook hands with the actual Commander Vimes? Oh, yes said his father nonchalantly, as if meeting the famed blackboard monitor was all in the day's work. I suspect you have another question, my lad. And the boy frowned. So, Dad, what's going to happen to my brother? I'm sorry I don't know. I sent a petition to Lord Vetinari, saying that Levelis is a good lad who got into bad company. And I received a reply, and his lordship said that a young dwarf set fire to a clax tower while people were working on it and his punishment will be at his lordship's leisure. And so I sent him another letter, saying that I had fought at Coombe Valley, and I received another reply, and his lordship said that he understood that I didn't fight at Coombe Valley, because fortunately nobody did. But he understood that I must do what I can for my eldest son, and as his lordship said, he will cogitate. The old dwarf sighed. I'm still waiting, but as your mother says, while we're not hearing anything, then he's still alive. Now don't tell me, my lad, that the Grag extremists are on our side because they ain't. They're the ones that'll tell you that the dead kings have been made up in Ankh-Morpork and were dummies, and so were we if we thought they were real. And, my boy, the dumb believe it. But I was there. What I touched I felt, and so did everybody else on that day, and that's why I get angry when the Grags start preaching about the horrible humans and the terrible trolls. They want us to be frightened of one another, thinking there must be an enemy. But the only enemy now is the Grags and those poor fools like your brother who set fire to a clax tower and got badly burned for his trouble. They are the victims of the sneaking bastards in the darkness. 
Far away in the oblong office, Drumnot put the midday edition of the Times in front of Lord Vetinari and looked down at Mr. Cherryson's latest frantic petition, saying, "'They've torched two more clax towers, my lord, but so far no one has died, except on their side, of course. Young dwarfs badly advised. They should have known better.' The silence enveloped Lord Vetinari. "'Indeed,' said his lordship. "'But it is easy to be an idiot when you are seventeen, and I would warrant that the grags who put them up to it are much older. There is no sense in breaking the arrow if, by acting sensibly, you may capture the archer. I'll leave the cheerison boy thinking about his fortune in the tanty for a while, and will make a note to have him brought over to talk to me in a month or two. If he's clever, his parents won't be grieving, and I'll have a number of names, and, above all, the goodwill of his parents. "'Always worth thinking about, don't you agree, Drumnot?' "'Damage to property,' said Drumnot speculatively. "'Yes,' said Lord Vetinari. "'That's it.' A few days later, Crossley quietly entered the master bedroom of the house in Schoon Avenue, nudged Moist, and when that had no effect, finally pinched his ear in order to get his attention. He whispered, "'Excuse me, sir,' but his lordship requires your presence at the palace immediately, and I am sure that neither of us would like to see the mistress troubled at this time, yes? At home, and for once, in bed at the St. Thomas Moist, Adorabel Dearheart was gently snoring, although she was certain that she did not. Moist groaned. It was the crack of seven, and he was allergic to the concept of two seven o'clocks in one day. Nevertheless, he dressed with a speed and silence trained by experience, walked noiselessly downstairs, left the house and got a trolleybus to the palace. He ran up the steps to the oblong office, reflecting that day or night he had never seen it empty. This time Lord Vetinari was at his desk, looking, if the word could be applied to Lord Vetinari, chipper. "'Good morning, good morning, Mr. Lipvig. Rather speedier than last time, yes? Now I imagine you haven't had time to look at your newspaper today.' "'Something rather droll has happened.' "'Is it something interesting to do with the railway, perhaps, my lord?' Lord Vetinari looked puzzled for a moment, and then said, "'Well, there is something, yes, since you ask.' He sniffed, as if what he was dealing with was not in the great scheme of things all that important, and continued, "'I am being told that everybody is going to Harry King's compound to see the marvel of the steaming train, which seems to have caught the public fancy.' I understand that Sir Harry, with his usual business acumen, is already turning this into a commercial enterprise. Of course, that is news, but when you do indeed get hold of a newspaper, you might notice a small apology from the editor of the Times to the effect that the crossword has been removed, as the compiler is stepping down for a while owing to the pressures of keeping up the standard of achievable games that are nevertheless sufficiently taxing. "'Of course. As a rule, I do not gloat, but I fear she has met her match. I shall ask Drumnot to arrange for a box of chocolates to be sent to her from a secret admirer. After all, I am generous in victory.' Lord Vetinari cleared his throat again and said solemnly, "'Alas, Drumnot has taken the morning off to go and have another look at the engine. A morning off? Who ever heard of such a thing?' I have to say that I am somewhat surprised, as the only other time he has ever requested time away from my service, 
was to attend the Paperclip, Stapler and Desktop Aid Symposium three years ago. He got very excited about that one, too. One wonders what the attraction of this engine can be. Does it not seem rather strange to you? Moist was a little nervous of the use of strange and drum knot in the same sentence, and instead volunteered to visit the site of the train to escort Drumlot back to the palace. Since you will be there, Mr. Lipvig, I shall be pleased to hear your impressions on the economic opportunities for my city. Aha, thought Moist, so that's why he's dragged me out of bed again. Nothing to do with the crossword, nothing to do with Drumnot, but everything to do with his city getting an interest in the railway. His lordship gave Moist a brisk nod and waved the paper, suggesting that it was time for him to be on his way. It took Moist a long time to push his way through the throng, anxious to see the modern miracle of the age. Harry King's business compound was at the very end of the queue that seemed to straggle halfway back to the city. There was no sign of Drumnot, but Moist wasn't surprised. When Drumnot was standing in front of you, he was so retiring as not to be there. There were guards on the gates all round the compound, Harry's own and city watch, watching like hawks as one by one the citizens queuing up parted with a whole dollar at a time to ride behind the locomotive. And a dollar was a dollar, possibly a day's food for a family, and yet, as far as Moist could ascertain, flying over the rails on the wonderful train was worth tightening your belt for. It was better than the circus better than everything to be speeding along with the wind in your face and black smuts that made the eyes water, but were, well, the badge of the train riders, who nevertheless didn't seem to notice it, given the amount of unpleasantness that could slap, splat, spit or fly into your face when you stepped into the street, or even when you walked into your own house, if you lived anywhere near the shades. Moist was well versed in the people of Ankh-Morpork's love of novelty, and he had to admit it, Iron Gerda, pulling her train like the queen she was, was novelty in the extreme. She came trundling around the corner, with people in the carts behind screaming and waving to friends still waiting in the queue. And as a connoisseur of the madness of crowds, he watched carefully, and noted that some passengers disembarked and scuttled away to the man who was handing out little tokens in exchange for another dollar, and then ran all the way to the back of the very, very long queue for another go. There was a click nearby, and then a flash, and he turned to see the perennially cheerful face of Otto Schriek, lead iconographer of the Ankh-Morpork Times, who gave him a friendly wave. "'Well now, Mr. Liefvig, surely you're behind this in your cheeky little way?' Moist laughed and said, "'No, not me, Otto, but it's very popular, isn't it?' "'And I want to be at the very centre of it all,' he said to himself. He noticed that periodically the man collecting the money hurried away carrying huge leather pouches, with a troll bodyguard fore and aft, and was instantly replaced with another showman ready for the monies of the mob. And so Moist, as he told himself in his own cheeky way, followed the money. He followed it in between the great noisome heaps and stinking lagoons of Harry's empire, until the man with the large pouches of coin walked into a large shed. He followed him inside and froze, because he was immediately surrounded by the kind of men who have their noses splashed against one side of their face, little in the way of conversation, and, he noticed now, very bad halitosis. Fortunately, the shed also contained Sir Harry, who was bright enough to wave a hand in the air and say, OK, boys, loose no sphincters, 
It's only Mr. Von Lipvig, my old chum and bank manager. He's practically one of us, ain't you, Moist? Moist grinned, thankful that sphincters were, right now, not in play, and said, Well, now, Harry, you know, as your bank manager, I of course make it my duty to look after your interests, and I gather that you're looking after the interests of Mr. Simnel, too. That hung in the air like a sickle, a sharp one at that, and he watched Harry's face, which hadn't moved one single muscle, and then, abruptly, Harry burst out laughing and said, Oh, my, Mr. Lipvig, I always said you was a sharp card, and if it comes to that, a card sharp. He nodded to his bodyguards and said, Go and have a little break, lads. Me and my old friend here will be having a little chinwag, such as old friends do. Go on, bugger off a lot of you. And indeed they did, all except one, the very largest, a troll who glittered strangely and was watching Moist most intently, but not as intently as Moist watched him. And, Moist thought, the troll was a gentleman. He couldn't think of him in any other way. He was well-dressed, which was remarkable in itself, as most trolls viewed clothes as optional. Somewhat embarrassed at this interest, Moist felt rude enough to say, OK, Harry, but there's one bodyguard still here. Do you think I'm going to try anything? Harry King guffawed. That Mr. Lipvig is my lawyer. His name is Mr. Thunderbolt. Got the letters after his name and everything, ain't you, Thunderbolt? Lawyer. Bingo. Harry was laughing all the way from his belly now and said, Mr. Lipvig, the look on your face. Don't worry, though. Mr. Thunderbolt takes everybody that way. That isn't to say I ain't glad to see you, but you could be of service to both me and our friend the engineer. Shall we go somewhere a bit more private? Coffee? Harry waved at a clerk who bustled away swiftly and then ushered Moist and Thunderbolt up to his office overlooking the compound. Harry sat down and beckoned to Thunderbolt and Moist to do the same. Now then, you know me, Mr Lipvig, like I know you. We're a pair, eh? Not exactly crooks, not exactly, well, not now anyway, because we've grown up and know how to do business properly, don't we? He concluded with a wink. And we both know a once-in-a-lifetime deal when we see it, I'm sure. Tell me if I'm wrong, yeah? There was somebody who was a lawyer in the room, moreover a lawyer who could presumably kill you with one punch, and it was always worth thinking about anything that you were going to say in front of a lawyer, because you never knew if you really could trust the weasels. But Moist nodded at Mr Thunderbolt and said, with careful diction, Sir Harry, Lord Vetinari has set me the task of assessing this wonderful new invention on behalf of the city. Harry King opened a box of big cigars, sniffed them and chose one before proffering the box to Moist and Thunderbolt. The troll declined, of course, but Moist was never one to turn down one of Harry King's finest cigars. They came from far-off places and were truly excellent. Harry puffed out a big cloud of smoke, leaving him for a moment looking just like Iron Gerda, and it occurred to Moist that Harry, who knew that symbols were important, was definitely hoping to be the first railway baron. Mr Lipvig, Iron Gerda is peacefully, for want of a better word, transporting eager citizens around the track regular as clockwork. Round and round they go, happy as you like, you must agree. Mr Simnel says he built her as a proof of concept, and he needs a lot of money to build a full-sized version that can pull even more people, and above all, freight, because he reckons that's where the money is to be made, although looking out of the window at all those smiling faces, 
I'm not so sure of that. Sir Harry sent another plume of smoke into the air and looked smug, which, Moist considered, was probably the case, before adding, Since I know you, Mr. Lipvig, and I know that you can read me, yeah, I'm prepared to bankroll the lad in exchange for a slice of the profits, a big and fair slice. I understand that he's now all but skint, totally boracic, with the arse nearly out of his trousers. And if he's ever going to get his ambition to run bigger trains to here, there and bloody everywhere, then he needs a partner with experience of the world. And I have that experience from the bottom up, as it were. But you know how it is, gents. When a man gets older and he's made his pile, he starts caring a bit more about what people think about him. So I ain't no dwarf. I won't steal an advantage on a young man with prospects. That's why I'm happy to say that with the help of Mr Thunderbolt here, I've struck a fair deal with the young lad. Ain't that so, Mr Thunderbolt? The air seemed to glitter as the troll stood up, shimmering as he spoke. His voice appeared to come from twilight canyons far away. It wasn't just sound. It had a presence in its own right. Yes, that is so, Sir Harry. I suggest now that even though you have a handshake deal with Mr. Simnel, there should be three shares in this enterprise to avoid deadlock, with the third and very small share in the hands of the city, to wit, Lord Vetinari. The purpose of the arrangement is in case Mr. Simnel and you, Sir Harry, are unable to agree on a matter connected with what we are all calling the railway. Lord Vetinari will have the casting vote to end that deadlock. But the city will not take any dividends. Its income will come, as always, from straightforward taxation, which I am sure Lord Vetinari will consider an important part of this enterprise. The small print will be a little more complicated, and, of course, if Mr. Simnel's locomotives catch on, there will be opportunities to sell extra shares in the future. If you both agree, gentlemen, I will deal with that aspect, and you may be certain that in compliance with Sir Harry's instructions, Mr. Simnel and his family will have a significant share in the business. As slowly as he had stood up, Mr. Thunderbolt sat down again, and Moist von Lipvig and Sir Harry King looked at one another. Harry, beaming, said, "'I suppose I'd better get the lad in, then,' and nodded to Thunderbolt to open the door. A few minutes later, Dick Simnel sat uncomfortably in his seat, trying not to make anything greasy, without much hope and even less success. Harry appeared not to notice and said cheerfully, "'Now then, lad, it's like this.' You reckon that with enough money you could make engines larger and more powerful than Iron Girder, right? And with long enough uh, rails you could get to all the other cities? Well, lad, I'll bankroll you in this enterprise until you're in a position to prove that this is possible. He stopped talking for a moment, looked at the ceiling and said, Tell me, how long do you think that'll be? The engineer looked thoughtful and somewhat baffled, and said, "'I couldn't rightly say, sir, but the more the money jingles, the faster the wheels will turn. I mean, if I can hire the best skilled workers, and, well, sir, I've made my calculations, done a lot of testing, and I reckon I could have a new engine ready for... 
Moist held his breath. One thousand dollars. Moist glanced at the face of Harry King, who flicked the ash from his cigar and said, in a deadpan way, A thousand dollars. And how soon can you have it on the rails, lad? Simnel took his small sliding device out of his pocket, played with it for a minute or two, and said, How about two months? He fiddled with the device again and added, Around tea time. Moist was fidgeting at this point, and he chimed in with, Excuse me, I know you said that Simnels have been working on steam for years, and that other people might have been too, but do you know if anybody else has anything like this? Might they steal a march on you, even if they don't have your secrets? To his surprise, Simnel said cheerfully, Oh, yes, sir, about four or five of them, but none of them have produced even a working concept like the Iron Girder. They're making all mistakes my dad did, and making a few others of their own and all, from what I hear. Superheated steam doesn't give you a chance. Get it wrong, and it'll take flesh off your bones. Now me, sir, well, I'm a stickler for measurements. Tiny, teeny, weeny measurements. They ain't very exciting, but that's the soul and centre of being an engineering artificer. Unfortunately, my granddad and my dad were a bit slapdash about them, seeing as they didn't have the proper knowing of them. But measurements is your saving grace if you want to raise steam. Me mum paid for me to get a better learning, being as her side of the family had money from, he paused, fishing, and one of my uncles made theodolites and other delicate instruments, and I thought to myself, well, this is very helpful, especially when he taught me how to blow glass, and what I need glass for is me own little secret. Simnel looked anxious for a moment and said, I'll need a shed load of iron, especially for tracks themselves, and of course, then there's the question of laying tracks through people's land, Someone will have to talk to the landowners. I'm an engineer, always will be, and I'm not sure I know how to haggle with the big knobs. Ah, as it happens, we have a born haggler with us right now, said Harry. What do you say, Mr Litvig? Do you want to be a part of it? Moist opened his mouth to speak. There you are then, young Dick. We'll use Mr Litvig for any negotiations. He's the kind of man who'd follow you into a revolving door and still come out in front. And he speaks posh, when necessary. Of course, he's a bit of a scoundrel, but aren't we all in this business? I don't think I am, sir, said Simnel cautiously, but I know what you mean. If you don't mind, I'd like to suggest that my first track is laid all the way back to Stolat. Well, not exactly Stolat, it's a place on the outskirts called Swinetown, there being so many pigs in the area. That's where the rest of my gear and machinery is stored. Simnel looked nervously at Sir Harry, who was pursing his lips. It's a long way, lad. Must be twenty-five miles or more. And you'd be right out in the sticks there. Moist couldn't hold his tongue. Yes, but they wouldn't be the sticks for long, would they? Try and get fresh milk in the city. It's always bad cheese by the time it gets to you. And then there are things like strawberries, watercress, lettuce, you know, everything with a limited shelf life. The areas that have the railways will be more prosperous than those that don't. It was the same at first with the clacks. Everybody said they didn't want the towers, and now anybody who's anybody wants one at the bottom of their garden. The post office will be on your side too. Moving the mails faster and all that, I can assure you that the Royal Bank will be right behind you. And indeed, Mr Simnel, I'll invite you to join me in my office as soon as possible to discuss our special banking facilities. Harry King slapped his thigh and said, Mr Lipvig, didn't I say it? You're a man who sees an opportunity when it's in front of him. Moist smiled. 
Well, Harry, I think it's in front of all of us now. In fact, in his mind's eye, Moist could see lots of opportunities and plenty of room for problems, and here, right in the middle of it all, was Moist von Lipwig. It couldn't get better than this. His smile widened, inside and out. It wasn't about the money. It had never been about the money. Even when it was about the money, it wasn't entirely about the money. Well, it was slightly about the money, but most of all, it was about what the dwarfs called the crack. The sheer pleasure about what you were doing and where you were doing it. He could feel the future catching him up. He could see it beckoning. But of course, sooner or later, someone would try to kill him. That usually happened, but you had to take the chance. It seemed to be a necessary part of the whole thing, whatever the whole thing actually was. You always had to take the chance. Any chance. Harry gave Moist a sideways glance and said, over his shoulder, Mr Simnel, if you've got a lot of your valuable stuff in a shed up there in Pig City or wherever, would you mind me sending a couple of my, uh, Harry paused, seeking for a genteel wording, my useful gentleman to keep an eye on the place for you? Simnel looked puzzled and said, It's really a quiet old place, sir. Harry moved into what might be called his avuncular persona and said, That might very well be so, my lad, but I think that you and me are going to a place where there'll be a lot of money, and where there's a lot of money there are a lot of people trying to take it off you. I'd like to think that if anyone broke into your big shed to fossick around for any interesting bits of machinery or clues as to how you build your engines, they might find themselves having to explain their interest to Snatcher, Stiletto Dave and Grinder Bob. They're all good lads, kind to their old mums and wouldn't hurt a fly. Call it, well, call it insurance. And if you can be good enough to let them have a key, I'll send them up there right now. Mind you... If you can't find a key, I'm sure they'll find their way in. They're very versatile in that respect. Young Simnel smiled and said, That's very thoughtful of you, Sir Harry. Perhaps I should give them a message to take to my mother. She'll show them where everything is. My dad said always put a few nasty little booby traps around the place before you lock up. And then, after that, out they can steal from you they're welcome to, if they've still got their arms to carry it away, that is. Harry laughed out loud and said, "'Sounds to me like your old dad looked at things just the way I do. "'What's mine is mine, and what is mine is me own.'" When Moist and Mr Thunderbolt stepped out into the compound, Moist saw that people were still queuing up for a ride on the train, which was waiting like a queen while Mr Simnel's lads filled her bunker full of coal and oiled and greased everything again, including themselves. They tapped her wheels and polished everything that could be polished, once again including themselves, while just about every little boy in the city, and amazingly most of the girls, stared at her in awe, worshipping at her shrine. And then it came back to him. Earth, air, fire and water, the sum of everything. The goddess had found her worshippers. There was a sound like thunder, but it was only Mr Thunderbolt clearing his throat to say, Remarkable, isn't it, Mr Lipvig? There appears to be what one can only call a presence of sorts. A hint, as it were, that life turns up in many different guises, perhaps. Just a passing thought. Moist had never heard such clear diction from a troll, and it must have shown because Thunderbolt laughed, saying, A touch of diamond does the trick, Mr Lipvig, and I will endeavour to draw up contracts that suit all parties. You need not worry. Just then, Moist beheld Drumknot 
greasy and cheerful and covered with smuts, stepping off the engine and regretfully handing a hat and a very grubby jacket to one of Mr. Simnel's lads. Moist grabbed the little secretary by one arm. "'Where did you get to, Mr. Drumnot? I've been looking for you everywhere,' he lied. "'His lordship is expecting you back any time now.' Moist wasn't sure he liked Drumnot, but it wouldn't do to have him as an enemy, being so close as he was to the engine that drove Ank Morpork. And so he cleaned up the little man as best he could and flagged a coach back into the city, noticing as they travelled along the busy towpath that the major traffic was still going the other way.' 